You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 17. Oh my God, Ethereum is dying. So that's what we're going to talk about for most of the day. But I'm going to tie that back into Bitcoin. I mean, this is the Bitcoin space. So everything I talk about here is related to Bitcoin. But I'm also, I also have a few updates from the global markets. Japan is back in the news. So we'll talk a little bit about them. All right, some program notes here at the beginning. If you guys would like to support the show, you can do so at the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Just click on the show notes. You'll see a QR code there, and you can donate there. That's also the place, obviously, you can find all the links to everything I talk about. And if you guys have a problem, you can uh, pick a fight with me on Twitter. (laughs) All right. Um, First up, of course, is Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum basically has died. This, This hard fork has taken its toll and now we are uh, just watching the the slow decline of ethereum and i want to start off with reading a little bit of the wow wiki now it, people that know anything about ethereum knows that uh, vitalik was a big wow player a world warcraft player before he started ethereum he kind of got out of that world and he um, started up cryptocurrency but he named his uh, cryptocurrency after one of the factions in World of Warcraft. And I want to read you about that faction here. <laughs> okay, let's go. The Ethereum were the ruling class of Ethereal on their homeworld of Koresh. The Ethereum have vowed vengeance upon Dementius for decimating their world and have been tracking Dementius ever since. According to Commander Amir of the P- Protectorate, Quote, the Ethereum have grown dark, twisted, end quote. Vengeance has become their only recourse, and any that would stand in their way or not join their cause are considered enemies. Many saw the Ethereum were plummeting into madness and left. Several of the Nexus princes of the Ethereum council abandoned the Ethereum to form other groups and factions with different goals. The Ethereum are led by Nexus king Saladar. Okay, now I wanted to read that because it's very similar to Bitcoin or to Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, right? Now that they've hard forked, they descended into madness. I mean, the Stefan tools obviously descended into madness and um, the the Ethereum core has as well. They're splitting up. They're pointing fingers at each other over this who is the hacker. They're suspecting internal people within the foundation as being a hack, being the hacker. Um, and they're splitting into factions and groups, serving different goals. If you're not for them, you are a Bitcoin maximalist, right? And that is, it's just, it's kind of disturbing to me how accurate this World of Warcraft Ethereum is to the Ethereum, the cryptocurrency. So I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Let's get on to some real news. All right, there was a image going around. Uh, that the foundation they were each other on Skype, I guess, in a Skype chat, and somebody took a screenshot of it. Um, people saying uh, that they were going to control the li- liquidity of Ethereum. They needed to attack Ethereum Classic. Yada yada yada. On and on and on. Just really bad behavior from a nonprofit. And you know, as 
the liability of this gets going, um, it's going to be a lot more finger pointing, a lot more prisoner dilemma. If I rat out, you know, have, um, collected this evidence against my fellow colleagues, then I might get a good deal or they won't charge me because I was the one that ratted everybody out first. Um, I can see this devolving very quickly. Also, there is an effort to sue the foundation on behalf of the hacker, and they have a very good legal case. They have a better legal case than the foundation does that the hacker was a thief. And I, I ranted about this last time. Anyway, so there is looking like there, there could be some legal action. And now the Ethereum Classic group or community have kind of formed their own foundation called the Ethereum Unlimited Foundation. And they are saying Ethereum needs to give them their Ethereum Classic that was part of the foundation. So the, the Ethereum Foundation has their Ethereum hoard. They're saying that is for this community. And if you look at the website with all the things that they pointed out and probably in some sort of governing documents of Ethereum, it probably says that this is for this chain, this community, right? So if you, if you fork off and have a different chain, then that is going to have to be given off. And who knows who gets the actual ether, the new chain ether? I don't know, but that's a problem with this. Uh, having a governing body that fundraises, does a crowd sale, does an ICO. You know, there's something to sue. There is somebody with some culpability um, that you can go after and ruin the coin, ruin the community, ruin the project, the network. So that is one point, real big point, that a lot of these Bitcoin maximalists that were ahead of the curve on this, now they can point to that and say, look, you're going to have legal trouble this is not good for investors to go into this. It's a big cluster. And Ethereum is in its terminal phases. And it, there could be some short-term gains with Ethereum Classic. But I think it will reach uh, parity relatively soon in the next couple months. Um, and it will probably be around 2 or $3 at that point. I don't see Ethereum going forward being super successful they have reached their all-time high, and it's not its not going up more than that. So if you bought at the high, sorry, you're screwed. Our next story is from Andrew DeSantis. He is a writer at Bitcoin Magazine, and he had a tweet about a process to um, kind of almost just leak money out of Coinbase. Uh, Coinbase took an ideological stance. We are not going to support class the Ethereum Classic. We're only supporting the hard fork side, and that was a bad mistake. That was a very bad mistake. Uh, it, the mistake, actually, the worst mistake was supporting Ethereum in the first place. But uh, anyway, so what people were doing, were they were buying Ethereum on Coinbase, uh, sending it to Poloniex, and when you sent it to Poloniex, Poloniex would receive your Ethereum Classic and your Ethereum because it's it's tied together, this replay attack, right? And um, so then you sell both your Ethereum Classic and your Ethereum for Bitcoin, send your Bitcoin back to Coinbase, and rinse and repeat. I mean, you can see the you would be able to see the prices. So the price would be higher for Ethereum and uh, lower for Bitcoin on Coinbase, and vice versa on Poloniex. You should be able to see that if that was happening. I didn't check that out, but uh, Coinbase is not insolvent, but they probably wasted a lot of money. 
Bobby Lee, who is their CTO over there, he came out and said, you know, at most uh, 95% of our ether or something like that is in cold storage. So that is safe, but that doesn't mean that they somehow aren't leaking it. And, um, maybe they, it probably cost them a million dollars or more. I would say maybe not that high. I, I don't know, but it's possible. I mean, Coinbase is just going from one fuck up to another. Even if you like the people there, they, they are having problems. That also their, um, risk analyst now has quit at Coinbase. So that's another interesting aspect. You can see them starting to, fracture and dissolve over all of this so i don't know and why why is bobby lee staying there why is he even there you know he created litecoin anyways so that happened all right now from bitcoin i don't want to turn into a bitcoin pumper but here here's some stories and you know i i tend to be more bullish but here is one from Bitcoin Magazine, and it's titled uh, First European Regulated Bitcoin Product Launched by Gibraltar Alt, uh, Stock Exchange. And it's not the first, but it is a fully compliant stock exchange with the EU central market or single market. And it's an ETI, Exchange Traded Instrument. It's called Bitcoin ETI. And I guess, guess it's going to be listed on the, the Bourse as well in Germany. But uh, there's a handful of other ones like Bitcoin Tracker 1 out of Sweden. I don't know how all the European regulations work out. Like uh, this Sweden is a part, a participant in EU regulations, but not necessarily a full member. GSX says it's a full member. So I don't know how all of those overlap. I do know the sovereign countries try to comply. Um and or the sovereign governments have agencies, financial agencies that tried to comply with the EU regulations, but they don't necessarily have to. So um, I don't know exactly how that works, but this is sold on this article as the first EU regulated uh, exchange uh, or product. These other handful of ones, they've had some really good returns, right? 30% to 50% in the last six months to a year. Uh, or this year, I think it said in here. Uh, grow, uh, yeah, year to date. They're going to jump in. And these, these funds will take Bitcoin out of circulation. They'll buy Bitcoin. And they'll put it in probably cold storage. And they will hold it. And it will just make everybody's uh, value of their Bitcoin go up. So I can see these products getting very popular. I mean, we have a handful now. Over the next 12 months, we'll probably have another handful. So we'll go into uh, 2017 with roughly a dozen of these ETFs, ways for people to invest in Bitcoin. I think people will start flooding in. And that is huge for the price up. But like I said, I don't want to be a pumper because this could all turn out badly. It's very risky to invest. This is not investment advice. But it could... It could go very well because it's a very logical investment and compared to the illogical financial world out there right now. Okay, last thing I have is a couple uh, concerns from around Bitcoin. And the first one is from RBTC. It's kind of a funny post because, all right, the title is, It's time for a spinoff coin. Let coin core holders hold their bags. 
And what's so funny is that these these people now classic they're calling, they see what happened with Ethereum and they want to now have their fork and they think their fork will compete just like Ethereum Classic is competing, right? It's obvious that they haven't been around for a while because a spin-off coin is just an altcoin. That's what an altcoin is. And all altcoins are a fork of a fork of a fork of Bitcoin. I mean, there are a few maybe like Ethereum that were built from the ground up, but most of them are forks of a fork. And that's they just are saying, let's create an altcoin. And it's so funny. They think this is innovative. They think this is new. They think this is going to be different outcome than all of the other altcoins that have ever been created. And uh, yeah, I, I just, once you are in Bitcoin for a while, you start to see these same kind of ideas come through from different generations of uh, adopters of this technology. So I just think it's funny they're they're trying to threaten a hard fork of Bitcoin and do something like they are doing with uh, with Ethereum Classic. Now they do have some backing because I think Roger Ver is getting involved with some he's starting like a mining pool uh to be able to fork uh, when the time comes and also uh, the one guy I think it's Jihan or I don't know how you pronounce it J-I-H-A-N he's a pretty high up guy in the Chinese mining industry over there uh, Bitcoin mining and he's been really kind of starting fights with uh, Samson uh, Mao uh, the BTC China people uh, also starting trying to start fights with the with core stuff like that he he really wants uh he kind of feels like he doesn't have the i guess clout that he deserves who knows exactly what the mining situation is but maybe he does control a large portion of mining and he's threatening to fork as well but all of these people have to bow to the incentives of the network and right now the incentives of the network are aligning for everybody and they have aligned for everybody in the past. So there is some fear of the future that they won't continue, the incentives won't continue to work, but they have worked and there's no real reason to think that they won't. So that, that's important. But yeah, so the, these people are talking about a spinoff coin as if it's something new, but it's really just an altcoin. Now let's talk more about specifically about the hard fork for the block size that uh, I think is coming. All right, now uh, I've been several places now. I've been on the record saying that I think we are going to have a hard fork in the future. Uh, that is for the block size. Um, Core agreed to that in the roadmap, or at least uh, uh, signaled that that is what they wanted to do, or that, you know, they wanted to fix all these things like SegWit, they wanted to get the relay network going. All this stuff looks like it's going to happen very shortly. And now it's time for this uh, kind of proposal for a hard fork. Uh, I have some troubling news from around uh, the community. I mean, I've been I've been kind of lurking and and lurk lurking and looking into all of these different people, uh, trying to follow them where they comment and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the troubling things to me is that in the core Slack, uh, there's a handful of very active people, uh, just a handful, that comment there. I mean, I would say probably 
90 to 95 percent of the comments are from just a few handful of people not very many core developers go in there um, they're core contributors and things but uh, strictly core core developers I you know block stream folks I don't know uh, I don't know how much they are actually active in there I've only seen them in there a few times and granted I don't go in there all the time I just go in there once a day or twice a day and, and kind of look at what's been said over the last few hours but um, these I raised the point that you know our we need to learn from this ethereum fork for Bitcoin's hard fork coming up and they were, they kind of jumped on my back a little bit saying look we're not gonna hard fork we're not even gonna talk about it it's not gonna happen we're not hard forking and that it was kind of surprising to me a little bit <clears throat> and I was like, but it's on the roadmap. And they're like, that was non-binding and it's stupid and we're never going to hard fork. It's a little bit troubling to me because Core sold this as, uh, and, and I am a huge Core supporter. Huge. They are the smartest people in Bitcoin. And I would, I wish they would come out and try to explain this to people. Maybe a blog post on uh, BitcoinCore.org, something like that would be helpful for people like me. That we're in the space, we understand what's going on. We, I understand that the incentives, the hard forks are very dangerous. Look at what had just happened to Ethereum. But a Bitcoin hard fork would be different. It would be forward looking and technical, where Ethereum's was social and backward looking. So it's a completely different, um, type of hard fork. Now, I, but I do understand that there are problems. There are risks involved and it could, really hurt the community if it's not done if it's not safe when it's done and maybe it can't be done safely but even people that are hardcore into this and they have their heads on straight and they understand the foundations of proof of work and what blockchains are etc etc um, they are still banking on a block size increase even with lightning network even with segwit they're still banking on eventually there will be a block size increase because that's what we've been told by core and that's what makes sense i mean even a lightning network needs to have two transactions right you need to have opening and closing transaction so there there is a limit with a one megabyte block there is a strict limit on how many lightning transactions we can have or how many lightning payment channels we can have so that that's that's all I'm saying here. There is this uh, growing. I feel this like undercurrent of, um, you know, pushing towards never forking. And there's a handful of people in the Slack that are saying that. And I mean, they could be right. Who am I to say that they're not right? But I want to get out ahead of this because I think this is going to be the conversation in the next six months. And I want to um, put it out there that. I myself, even though all the people around uh, that I trust or listen to in the space will say this isn't going to happen. I mean, till Core says this is not going to happen, everybody's going to think or 90% of people are going to think it is going to happen. And so, you know, I'm waiting for them to correct the record and I will still believe in the original roadmap email until uh, they say that this is not going to happen. Uh, I will continue to study. I'll continue to look into this. I'll continue to um, try to pass on what I learned to my listeners here. 
But um, until there is an official change of the narrative from core, you know, I, I can't believe what the people in the Slack say. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to move forward in these version updates to make sure we get it ready for a hard fork. And that's what I'm going forward with. Okay, to bring the conversation back into world markets, we need to talk about the recent uh, Bank of Japan meeting that just happened last night and some of the fallout there. Now, this was known. It was on the schedule for months, and people were expecting a stimulus. They are so bipolar, man. They started saying, okay, we're going to have $10 trillion stimulus because they, they've been off stimulus for a little while. So then they said, okay, we're going to have 10 trillion yen of stimulus. And then they went, oh, no, it's going to be 20 trillion yen after Bernanke helicopter Ben came over there and was talking to him. Uh, then just a few days after that, they came out and said, no, we're not going to do any stimulus. Zero. And so people going into this meeting not knowing what to expect. It was a loose cannon. We'd... People thought there was going to be stimulus because that is their M.O. That's the only weapon that central banks have in the Western-type system. And um, so we expected, I, I say we, the I would say most people expected for them to stimulate at about 10 to 20 trillion yen. It turns out they did six. Six trillion yen, no change in the interest rates. So the interest rates will stay, uh, will be targeted at least at the same what they are. And it was a letdown for most people because the, the Japanese economy is in recession. I mean, if you took the stimulus away, it would be a horrible, horrible depression in Japan. But, uh, you know, they're rolling back into recession, even with all the past stimulus that they've had. So uh, people were expecting them to continue their stimulus of course why not continue their stimulus they, they need to that's that's what they do well uh, six trillion was a letdown in that regard and it's funny because it doesn't please either side it doesn't please the money printers the western powers that are all about printing and stimulus and and uh, intervention right it doesn't please them because it's not big enough it doesn't please the people that want sound money. They want some sanity back. But uh, I think this is kind of, I don't really know how to read this, but I, I, I kind of think that Japan is trying to break from these Western controls. The U.S. dominated uh, banking system. But it's very hard to because they are tied in with that system. And if they totally break away, uh, then they uh, go against what the U.S. wants. They are going to be in bad shape. Financial warfare is real, and it's going to come to Japan if they don't play their cards right. So this is a strategic move. I think no longer are we looking at um, when will these central banks break away from the U.S.-dominated financial world but how how will they break away uh, japan is is really bad with all of their demographics they they cannot support their welfare state um, they are two 250 percent in government debt they know something's wrong they've been pumping like stimulating at insane levels to get their economy going insane so i they're probably at their wits end and they're ready to jump ship 
but it's a question of how. How do they cut these ties? How do they get away with it? How do they, you know, not incur the wrath of the United States and their financial weapons of mass destruction, which they have at the ready to go after anybody? So how does this affect Bitcoin? Well, you can see in China, um, they have realized this a couple years ago. Japan is realizing this now. And uh, so they're going into gold and silver. There was recent news about um, J Japanese are buying a lot of gold. And it, who knows, it it's, might, might be subconscious, but, um, you know, people are fleeing into, into gold and silver and Bitcoin. The, the two largest countries in the world now that are, um, with the volume of Bitcoin transactions or trading is China and Japan. And they're also two recently in the news with gold purchases. So you can see that Bitcoin fits right in there with gold, but it also has affected the Japanese yen. So the yen is strengthening versus the dollar because it was a less than expected stimulus. So the yen is strengthening, the dollar is weakening, and that has something to do with it too, because maybe, you know, they hold on to their yen and they don't change it into Bitcoin, but that might help for the people in the U.S., other markets around the world. As the U.S. depreciates, maybe Bitcoin gets more popular. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a couple angles you can look at this story, but overall, it's very important to be watching Japan and to be watching the Asian markets, especially since they are the highest volume in Bitcoin. That's all I have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Just click on the show notes and, uh, you know, it'll pop up there with a QR code. That's also where I obviously put all the links to the show, uh, the things that I talk about on the show. A lot of times the show notes are a little bit late because I have a lot of time that I put in my schedule to do this um, recording and I always push it to the end trying to add more stories and more commentary so that the show notes kind of lag a little bit. But what I'll do is I will tweet out when I post the show and then I'll also tweet out uh, when I have posted the show notes. So thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share this around to people that you think uh, would enjoy this content. Also, maybe you have some friends that listen to some podcasts, some Bitcoin podcasts. You know, they might enjoy this. Um, and if you have suggestions and feedback, shoot them to me on Twitter. You know, you can contact me um, through the website as well. So, or SoundCloud comments, whatever. That's it. Peace. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.